everyone and welcome to episode three of season four of Psychological. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning and neurodiversity. I'm Dr. Lou Thomas, your podcast host. I'm neurodivergent, I'm autistic and I have ADHD, which makes today's topic particularly interesting to me. Today I'm talking to Dr. Emily McDougall, who's a developmental psychologist currently based at the University of Surrey, who specialises in neurodiversity and cognition in the classroom. And Emily is on the phone with me today to talk about some research that was completed at the University of Edinburgh. And the paper we will talk about today is called Understanding and Supporting Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder in in the Primary School Classroom, Perspectives of Children with ADHD and Their Teachers. Struggle getting those words out there, but hello, Emily. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thanks. Well done with that. It's, it's a long title. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, struggle getting those words out. So we're going to jump straight in and start talking about the paper. I'm really excited to hear about it. So we'll start off with what you found. Would you be able to tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Yeah, so with it being a what we call a qualitative paper, which I can go into a bit more in a minute, there's you know, it's really rich kind of the data that came out of this and what we found. So I've kind of noted a couple of things that I think are the most important to raise and we can maybe go into detail um, in a bit later. But so our, sort of our main finding was children with ADHD and their teachers, they gave us a lot of insight into strategy use in the classroom. Um, and we found that there are lots and lots of different types of strategies that are being used. So that ranges from sort of the classroom general um, strategies to things like visual aids, stuff that might be in the classroom ready sort of for everybody. Mm. But then you've also got child-specific strategies that the teacher might be using with a child with ADHD. Um, And actually the strategies that children are using themselves that maybe teachers might not actually even be aware of. And so kind of sort of some self-regulation stuff going on there as well. Um, And then related to that, we found that strategies are definitely not a one-size-fits-all so um different strategies might work for different children and then also different strategies might work um differently in different contexts for the same child what I was thinking yeah so even it's not one strategy fits all all of the time either (laughs) exactly so it kind of teachers and children really need like a a toolkit of strategies Mm -hmm. to take from rather than you know this child has ADHD, that means they need X, Y, Z. Well, actually, it's not as simple as that. Um, I mean, that it'd be easy if it was, but, um, you know, that's that's definitely not the case. Um, and I think as long as we're aware of that, um, then, you know, if we, sh- we know that it's important to understand the child and not just the fact that they have ADHD, sort of their label, mm-hmm. um, and that's really important. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really important for the child to understand their own ADHD as well and what that means for them specifically. Yeah. Um, and then using all of this information to determine what strategies might work um, and what, what, might, what might not work and um, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds great. The next question that I was going to kind of go on to, I think a little bit of it, you kind of covered it there already so I was going to say what was what motivated you to look at this but because you kind of covered that a little bit there unless there are kind of other motivations maybe kind of what motivated you to look at it the way that you did so yeah so this study was is part of a bigger project so um it's part of the EPIC project which stands for Edinburgh Psychoeducation Intervention for Children and Young People which is why it's EPIC because it's a bit of a mouthful 
yes, um, all together. <laughs> um, so in that, in that project, we're looking to develop um, interventions for children, well, broadly, really, but particularly children who are struggling at school. Mm-hmm. And this was to kind of do a bit of a knowledge exchange with teachers and with children to learn like what's happening already in schools. I think that's a bit that research, it, it's much better these days. And I think there's a, definitely a movement for that kind of research happening, but we tend to kind of just do research for a group rather than actually saying, well, what's working already? You know, maybe there are some things that there's, well, there's definitely things that um, teachers and children need support with, but can we learn from what is going well already? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we were using that to, um, build sort of those components into uh, an intervention um, yeah. to, for children. Um, yeah, so that was that was the idea. Yeah, that sounds great. So, um, how did you do the study then? So you mentioned that it was qualitative. So, what did you do? <laughs> yeah, so we interviewed ten children with ADHD in primary school. So these were seven to eleven year olds, mm-hmm. and then for six of those children, we also interviewed their teacher. Um, And we really wanted to get the dual perspective on this. So typically with research like this, you would speak to teachers because, you know, teachers are able to, you know, they're adults, they're able to communicate a bit more effectively than children are. Um, But we felt it was really important to interview the children themselves. And it's actually quite a unique approach. Like very few studies kind of, we again, we sort of do research on children in a sense you know getting them to complete assessments and things like that but it was mm. really nice to actually speak to children themselves and see yeah, what definitely. they had to say about it yeah. um so yeah that was that kind of dual perspective approach mm. um and we conducted what's called semi-structured interviews which basically we had a list of questions that we wanted to get through with all the participants so asking them about um, their understanding of ADHD what their strengths and challenges were at school and then Um, the sort of strategies that they're using in the classroom and maybe identify if there's anything that they felt that they don't have that they could um, would benefit from in terms of support Um, and all of these children were this was conducted in Scotland so um, these children were originally from a pool of children that we worked with with the previous research study that had been on the waiting list Mm -hmm. for ADHD assessment so I can't remember the exact numbers actually but I think most of the children had then, since we originally saw them, had gone on to receive a diagnosis, but actually some were still waiting for an ADHD assessment um, yeah. at the time of interview. Yeah. Yeah. Although I guess if you've seen them before and you've done assessments and things with them, you know that they either meet the criteria or have a lot of traits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we'd done, um, we'd used a questionnaire called the Connors, which is yeah. a typical kind of diagnostic questionnaire for ADHD. And they all were above the threshold for meeting ADHD criteria so yeah, um, yeah I yeah, really we're pretty confident. Spoke to the children and the adults as well to be honest so I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD at school so I would have definitely had a very different perspective to how I was coping and how I was managing versus my teachers because they didn't even mm. notice that I was struggling <laughs> so you know there's very different ways that people can be dealing with things without anybody realizing on there so that's really it's actually really nice to speak to the children as well yeah, that's really good. I like that a lot. Um, cool. So could you tell me a little bit more about the analysis that you did on the day? Yeah, so we used what's called reflect, reflexive thematic analysis. Um, that's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> um, but essentially, it's the way that you um, 
uh, deal with. So the data that we have in this is basically what they've said during the interviews. Mm. So the process that that involves is uh, familiarisation with the data, which includes, well, in this case, transcribing all of the interviews. So I, I actually conducted all the interviews and transcribed them and then did the majority of the analysis. So that was great for me because I was already very familiar with it um, and it could kind of put me in a really good position to analyse the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you're kind of familiarised, you start generating what's called codes, which is basically you start looking through, I guess, for patterns and sort of things that people are saying that and sort of giving it a label. So, I don't know, a child might say, um, I struggle to sit still, for example, and then you might give that, you could just code that as struggling to sit still. And then you look through the rest of the data and see whether that code is, you can assign that code elsewhere. So you're sort of, um, yeah, looking for patterns within the data and then bringing those patterns together into like categories. And essentially we come out with um, what we call themes. So it's a way of um, looking at across the whole data and I guess just bringing it together and, and figuring out what's going on here that's relevant across more than one um, participant yeah. you know what are the what are the prominent themes that are coming out of the data mm-hmm. um we did also have a second researcher who um also familiarized herself yeah. with the data and we had a couple of meetings where we sort of just chatted through what our thoughts were um basically so that it's not just you know one person coming up with their own interpretation and then because mm-hmm. um, that's it that's a, um, a difficulty with qualitative data you know quantitative with it being numbers it's very easy to sort of run a statistical test and be okay this is the outcome whereas um yeah you kind of need to make sure you're involving other people and um, yeah. getting different people's views definitely so the, the themes that came out were they like the types of strategies and things is that what came out as the themes or yeah so um the themes were we had a theme of um classroom general and individual specific strategies which I mentioned Mm. at the start that was um sort of where teachers and children would speak about the fact that they have these strategies in place that are already in place in the classroom and that kind of is relevant for everybody but then there's also these specific strategies that might be targeted for children with ADHD such as um you know one of the things was allowing um like being allowing children to move around so Mm. um you know Typically in school, it's very much, you know, you need to sit down and do your work. But for children with ADHD, that's really, really challenging. Um, And actually, you know, not conducive to learning for them specifically, like for other children, that could be seen as something very distracting. But actually, in terms of their needs, Mm. it's it's really important that they have the opportunity to get them moved. So something like that Mm. is more ADHD specific or even child specific. You know, one child with ADHD might really benefit from that but actually another child might that might be even more of a distraction so it's mm-hmm. again it's that kind of yeah those differences yeah. in the strategies that are available so that was one theme I wish um, it allowed me to get up when I was at school and actually move around it was really difficult to stay seated I yeah on my chair so much mm-hmm. in one class the teacher used to not not have me sit on a chair and just make me kneel for the class I moved so much and it was apparently so disruptive that the the better alternative was to have me do that which is 
so bad <laughs> yeah there's now sort of equipment and things that um some of the schools talked about so there's like wobble chairs where yeah it's something like a cushion or something that is attached to the chair that they can yeah. um you know have some movement but other teachers also spoke about giving that child like tasks to do obviously again this depends on the child and what other um you know if they're able to sort of trust them to go off but sort of giving them like a little tasks and saying oh I need some printing done would you mind running down and collecting it or would you take this note to Mr such and such down the down the hall and things like that um so yeah that those were the kind of um specific ADHD specific or some of them that were coming out Mm um and then another theme was um what we called heterogeneity strategies which is basically a fancy way of saying a lot of variety so um that what I said at the start about um not a one-size-fits-all so being able to understand that what works for one child might not work for another but equally different strategies at different times of the day or depending on what mood the child's in in a certain day um and that kind of thing is um is really important mm-hmm. um and then another thing that I haven't spoken about yet is the role of peers as well so um we found that children and teachers spoke quite a lot about the importance of yeah the child's peers so learning from sort of having other children as a role model is the way that they were spoken about more by teachers but actually children talked a lot about sort of copying their peers in terms of you know if they've missed an instruction and being able to look to their partner next to them and be like oh that's what that's what they said that's what I need to do or even getting ideas from them and um in sort of a more say they're doing a piece of writing and seeing what their peers are doing and being mm. able to get support in that way yeah. um so yeah we kind of felt that that was really important because particularly in mainstream classrooms children with ADHD might have kind of more one-to-one support than other children and actually while that's great and that's you know it's important for them to have that extra support actually they also need opportunities to be with their peers and learn from learn from with their peers as well um Mm -hmm. so it's trying to get that balance I guess yeah yeah I mean I obviously never had a support worker or anything at school so my main thing that I always got told off at for school was talking because I'd be talking to the person next to me to ask what we were actually supposed to be doing (laughs) the instructions yeah (laughs) I was just like I don't don't know what to do I need to ask yeah that's what I would always be told off for I'd I'd never that's a good point actually I never sort of looked at what other people I think maybe I did a little bit but but what I remember the most is being told off for talking because that that sort of thing sticks with you doesn't it I don't remember looking at other kids work to see what to do but I do remember asking what to do and being told off for it so yeah Yeah. and I think if teachers are aware that that's happening then at least it gives them a space to it gives you kind of permission I guess to do that instead of feeling like well I need to ask but last Mm -hmm. time I asked I got told off so I guess giving obviously it has to be a balance because you can't have um talking all the time but yeah it's that understanding of actually this child is really benefiting from this small adjustment that we can make um and yeah so it's that that kind of thing that we found was really important yeah yeah so the kind of like last uh actually I think we've probably got time for a couple of couple more questions so firstly we've covered 
quite a lot kind of around this already. So the question that I usually ask at this point is, what do you think we can learn from this study? But because we've been kind of discussing it a lot as we go along, what do you kind of think is some or some of the main takeaway points from the study? Yeah, so I think one of the big ones is the importance of what we call psychoeducation, which is basically teaching children about ADHD um, and teaching teachers about ADHD, but not just ADHD broadly, actually what ADHD means for that particular child. So in this study as well, we kind of asked children and teachers about the strengths, their own strengths and challenges. And although there were some familiarities across the children, you know, they still, they're still a very, you know, diverse group of children. And so, um, you know, understanding that and being able to understand, you know, identify certain difficulties. So all that behaviour suggests that the child might need support with this or um, instead of just, okay, they've got the ADHD label, that means they need this prescribed set of um, supports, which isn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one big takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, having, like, like I said, like a toolkit of strategies that you can pick and choose from and actually just try test them out and um, do a bit of a trial and error. Well, okay, that, that didn't work this time, but let's try, you know, next time and see if it works or... Um, that, yeah that that is also just a really good point even for adults with ADHD that's a really good point it only occurred to me recently I've spent before realizing that I had ADHD and trying to work around things I've been trying to have strategies to help me do basically everything because I need to put strategies in place for anything to work and previously when something stopped working I was like I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to completely scrap that and invent an entirely new one so I've spent years yeah. trying to invent new strategies every time, but actually having a toolkit and going back to them or cycling through them, it's a lot less effort. So yeah. if anyone else who is an adult with ADHD hasn't thought of that, a toolkit is a good idea because that was like my, my brain exploded when I realised that I could go back and use the same ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, as adults, we have that ability to do that as well. Whereas for children, I think, um, they have less opportunities for that sort of sense of agency, particularly yeah. in the classroom where they're often just being told you have to do this. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, actually asking them, did you know, yeah. we tried this, did it work for you? What, how did you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Um, it gives them, yeah, that sense of agency and um, that in itself is kind of just a positive thing mm-hmm. to, to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially sort of for me, like some of the traits of ADHD for me, sometimes I feel like I can't control my brain or what it's thinking about or focusing on the tools. So having some actual input into what you're doing and whether it works or not is fantastic when you might feel like you can't control anything else because yeah. it does happen. Sometimes it does feel like that. But yeah, um, I'm going to ask one more question about the paper. I think we've got time to squeeze one in again. So you've already kind of mentioned that it's a long with another project so I'm going to go with um what would you like to do next or what are you doing next based on your findings yeah so we're um yeah we're ongoing with the epic project so at the moment we're um wanting to extend this to other neurodivergent groups as well so the work that we've done so far to develop um epic has been with mostly with children with ADHD and all of those materials are actually freely available online so um they can be downloaded by parents teachers whoever wants to 
use them, um, but they're also being used in PAMS clinics as well, so child and adolescent mental health services. So um, in Scotland, they're being used in those services for children who are um, being diagnosed with ADHD. But equally, yeah, they're sort of we're wanting to extend that to other mm-hmm. types of um, neurodiversity as well. So that's that's in the pipeline at the moment. It's really cool, <laughs> awesome, very exciting. Cool. So the final question is now not about the paper anymore, but the same. I ask everybody the same question at the end. Um, so finally, there's probably some early career researchers and students that are listening into the podcast. Is there anything that you would like to say to them? Yeah, I'm going to say something that I'm a piece of advice I'm trying to take for myself at the moment, which is try not to compare yourself to others. And it's it's a really, it is a difficult thing to do, especially in an academic career, research career, because a lot of the time everything's kind of driven on who's got the most papers, you know, um, and that kind of thing. But it's not, it's just not healthy. It's not good for your mental health. And actually you don't have control over what other people are doing. So in some ways it's very, um, fruitless to compare yourself to others and everyone's context is different as well so even someone that might look like is similar to you but doing you know if you're comparing them doing better actually you don't know what what that life has been like and um things like that so yeah try try to not compare yourself to others and um I think Sue gave this advice as well just be kind to yourself yeah she did but that is such important advice and sometimes it's so hard to do when you're like pushing yourself to get to deadlines and things yeah giving yourself being kind giving yourself a bit of a break absolutely so needed so needed yeah thank you that was very good advice and really important and also something that I need to take and lots of people around me need to take as well it's it's kind of <laughs> widespread that everyone yeah. compares themselves to each other so yeah that's really good advice so thank you so much for joining me today it's been really really fun talking to you and for anybody listen listening sorry thank you to us to you for joining us as well I had another difficulty with getting my words out there but <laughs> it's the end so it's fine <laughs> so yeah thank you for joining us you can find out more about Emily and her work by following the links in the podcast description on Buzzsprout or in your podcast app and join us again at the same time next week for another episode of psychological bye